couple things on my mind before I preach this message. Uh, first of all, is next Sunday uh, is graduating seniors day at Great Hills, and we're going to have a fantastic day. Got many seniors. How many of you seniors are graduating? Praise the Lord. Look at them smiling. Amen. Congratulations. That's great. And also, three weeks from tomorrow, does anybody know what's going down at Great Hills three weeks from tomorrow? Yes, VBS, and it is upon us, and I'm praying for Sharon Irwin and uh, Teresa Smith and all of our volunteers, and so it's going to be a great, it'll be hundreds, literally hundreds of kids from all over the, the greater Austin area will come, and we get an opportunity to love on them, and right after that, I understand there's a sports camp for them, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a great week. So I'm excited about that, and so I'm going to pray for that. So would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for our great church, this church that is yours, and these are your people, Lord, and we just love our church and love what you're doing here. And Lord, I'm praying now for VBS. God, would you just crown it with your prosperity and blessings and success so that many children, Lord, for the very first time would come to faith in Jesus Christ, many families would be blessed and I pray for all the volunteers and all the helpers, God, that you would bless them. I also pray for next Sunday as our seniors graduate, God, that you would bless them and bless this great service that we'll have next week as we honor them and as we worship you. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Nehemiah and the wonderful example this man is. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, teach us as we just glean and just understand everything you want us to know today. But Lord, not just for knowledge's sake, I pray that what we learned today, dear God, would literally change our hearts, would change our minds, change our behavior in such a way that we're more like Christ and we're more kind to people and more compassionate and more generous. So help us, God. We need you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 14 uh, through 19 will be our text. And the title of the message is, One in a Hundred. Nehemiah was one in a hundred. Orville Rogers is his name, and he has a book that come out called The, the Running Man. And uh, it is an outstanding uh, little book. I just finished, in fact, I finished at 11 o'clock Sunday night a week ago. Why I remember that, I really do not know, but that's when I finished the book at 11 o'clock Sunday night. But I was kind of sad that the book was over. If you've ever read a book that you're just like, man, this is so good, I wish there was another chapter. This year, in November, Orville Rogers will be 100 years old. It's an amazing life. He, when he was a young boy in Oklahoma, well, by the way, his name is Orville. What, is, what did I tell you? The mom, she named him Orville after Orville and Wilbur Wright, the Wright brothers. And so he said, you know, it was already, I guess, implanted in me that I was going to be a pilot. And it didn't help matters when Charles Lindbergh, in the spirit of St. Louis, flew by my little schoolhouse there in Oklahoma and he, he leaned out the window and uh, he just waved at us. And he said, as I looked at him, I knew that was my destiny. I one day would be a pilot. And sure enough, he went on to become a great pilot, not only in the military, but also uh, in commercial airlines. Now, he was one of those guys, like one of our guys, Wynn Pinkston. Wynn Pinkston uh, is a member of our church. He's a World War II veteran, and he trained pilots just like Orville Rogers did. He trained pilots to go in and to fight. And so he went on to uh, work for Braniff. Anybody remember Braniff Airlines? Y'all remember Braniff Airlines for 37 years as a pilot. 
But before that, he said, you know, I, I'm not sure what God really wants me to do with my life. Maybe God's calling me to ministry. So he went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I graduated from twice. In 1940, does that tell anybody anything? 1940, we're right on the precipice of what? World War II. And sure enough, he was drafted, and they, he had to leave Southwestern Seminary. And he went on and got his military training as a pilot, then went on to become, as I said a moment ago, a pilot for Braniff. But when he turned 60 years of age, how old is he today? He's 100, all right? When he turned uh, 60 years of age, the FAA says, well, we have a rule that if you, when you turn 60 as a pilot, you have to retire. So he was placed into forced retirement, but he's like, God, I feel good physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and, and I want to keep flying. So what he did for the next almost 20 years, he flew missionary causes. He, he went all over the world transporting missionaries and Bibles, and, and he, him and his wife, Beth, and they were married for 65 years. I'm telling you, quite, quite an individual, and I'm very impressed, and I'm reading his book, and then I come to the end of the book, Judy Stone, that you gave me. And I'm reading at the end of this book and he just, he, he drops a bomb on me. And no pun intended as a pilot, but he, he just dropped something on me that I did not see coming. He says, you know, in my 37 years of, of being a pilot and also in, in the military, I made $1.5 million. And I got to doing the math on that and you, 1.5 million divided by 37, he made about $40,000 a year on average. And then the next statement, he said, and I've been able to give $34 million away. Now, my wife can tell you I'm not good at math. But even I knew there was something going on here. You, you don't make 1.5 and give $34 million away. And he said, oh, do y'all remember earlier in the book that I invested a few dollars in oil and gas? And I thought, oh, gotcha. And then I also made a few investments in stocks. And this guy, when he was 50 years of age, started running. And that's why I call it the running man. He started running and at the, at the age of 75, he ran a 26.2 mile marathon in three hours and 39 minutes. You say, well, is that impressive? Let me, let me just tell you, I'm 52 and I just ran one a few months ago. It about killed me and I did it just under five hours. And this guy, 75, did it in three hours and 39 minutes. I'm just impressed with this man. And here's the thing that I think most impresses me about him. He's been in want and he's had much. He said, when I was 10 years of age, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and he radically blessed me. And for the rest of my life, he said, I've tried to give and tried to honor him with my life. And as I was thinking about Orville Rogers, I was thinking about our man, Nehemiah. There are some people that when they are prospered and when they are blessed, it harms them more than it helps them. And there's a famous quote by Thomas Carlyle, and he was a Scottish uh, historian and writer. He said this, he said, for every one person who can withstand prosperity, there are a hundred people that can withstand adversity. Now think about that for just a minute. For every one of us that can withstand prosperity. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, Lord, try me. I'll, I'll, I'd like to experience that. Let me see. For every one person that can withstand the blessings, there's a hundred of us that can withstand the adversity. And then one of my favorite writers, Chuck Swindoll, says this before we get into Nehemiah. He said, you know, it's, it's very odd that 
we human beings, we do better in a demotion oftentimes than we do in a promotion. So today we're going to talk about how can we withstand prosperity. Now, not necessarily prosperity uh, financially, though that's okay if God wants to do that, right? But emotionally and in our families and in our health and all the ways that God blesses us, can we thank God? Look, look at this. Can we thank God? Can we be humble? Can prosperity bring out the best in us instead of bringing out the worst in us? So here's our example. His name is Nehemiah. And you're going to see that he is living large and in charge. He is the governor of Jerusalem. He's been doing this now for 12 years. And he takes us through his story, through his life. And you'll see how God greatly blessed him. And yet in the midst of his blessings, he remains humble and he, remain, he keeps the sacrificial spirit about him, and he is one in a hundred. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. But the former governors who were before me, they laid burdens on the people. And they took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants, even the governor's attendants, if you will, bore rule over the people. But Nehemiah said, I did not do that because of the fear of God. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall and we did not buy any land. You say, what is so significant about that? Just hold that thought. Why would Nehemiah bring attention to the fact that I did not buy any land? We'll talk about that in a minute. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at the table, at my table, where you, you, you think you have guests come to eat with you? Watch this. Every day, he said, I would have 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Had 150 people join me for dinner every day. Now that, here's what it, took to feed all those people. It took one ox and six choice sheep, also fowl, which are birds. You know, they were prepared for me. And once every 10 days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. By the way, this bill is getting on up there. All right. It's very expensive to feed 150 hungry folk. All right. Yet in spite of this, he's just one in a hundred. I did not demand the governor's provisions. Because if I did, this would put a bondage and it would be very heavy on my people. So remember me, oh God, please, for good according to all that I have done for this people. So what I want to do today in our, in our time together is I want to look at this text to just go kind of verse by verse. That's what we do here at Great Hills. We're a Bible teaching, disciple making church. And the way we do that, one of the main ways we do it is on Sunday mornings at 11, the pastor here, he preaches the Bible. And so that's what we want to do. We want to teach the word of God, but not only just teach the Bible, after I take you through what I've called textual analysis or textual study, and the second thing I want to look at with you today is some truths that we can apply. So if you got your little outline there with you, number one is called textual study. And then number two is called uh, truths that we can apply. And by, by the way, just to get a little sidebar, just a little note here about preaching and about teaching. Um, I, I'm convinced that there are men of God in our church right now, young men who are going, going to go on and become great 
leaders in the church, great pastors and preachers, I really believe that. There, there are women in our church that are going to go ahead and do wonderful things in the name of Jesus and also be great teachers. So can I just give you just a little uh, you know, homiletical, just a piece of advice, if you will, and some of you are like, yeah, if you want to, go, go, go ahead and tell us. Here's what I encourage you to do. Whenever you get a chance to teach, and by the way, how many of y'all are teachers, either in the church or in the community? Or, I, tell, I don't know if y'all can see, I know you're not standing where I am, but there are teachers all over this room. A good teacher will be like Jesus. He will give explanation, illustration, and application. Can I encourage y'all with that? Whenever you get an opportunity to get up here and preach or you get a chance to teach, study the text, explain the text, apply the text, and then illustrate the text. You're welcome. That was totally free. All right, now, let's go through the text together. Would you look at it with me? There are just some things I want to point out for you, and then I want to look at some, just some practical points of application. And first of all, in verse 14, he says that I am the governor, or I was the governor of Jerusalem. That would be around 444 B.C. till about 432 B.C., Remember Nehemiah, he started out as a cupbearer. He started out as a man dutifully employed by the king of the world, a man by the name of Artaxerxes, and he lived in Persia, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the Holy Land, Jerusalem, and yet he was very faithful in his task as a cupbearer. I mean, hardly anybody really knew who Nehemiah was. The king liked him. The king trusted him really with his life, but Nehemiah, I, I, I want to argue, was very faithful and very honorable to God and to his boss. And because of that, because of his faithfulness, because of him honoring God and doing his dead level best at the job that he had, watch this, God took him and took him out of a small dimension and made him the governor of Jerusalem. You remember when Jesus in, uh, I believe it's Luke uh, chapter 16, remember in verse 10 when he said, the person who is faithful in the little things, he is also, the, and that person who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Did you hear that? If you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the big things. If God cannot trust you to do a good job with the little, why in the world would he put a prodigious large assignment on you if you've already failed the test of being faithful in the little things? But Nehemiah didn't fail, right? He's faithful to God. He's faithful to the king. And now you see him being elevated as the governor of Jerusalem. In verse 14, he says, but I nor my brothers ate of the governor's provisions. You see, the governor had the governor's expense account and they would allocate certain resources for Nehemiah. Now watch this though. The only way he could get those resources is that he would have to extra tax his people. And in order for them to be taxed, perhaps they would have to come off of the wall and work more, or maybe they could not afford it. As we looked a couple of weeks ago, they could not afford that. So Nehemiah says, I tell you what, I'm just not going to do it. Even though somehow, some way, I got to pay for 150 hungry people coming at my table, I'm not going to take the governor's royal provisions because I fear God and I don't want to exploit my people. Come on now. You're the governor. You can get away with this. But he won't do it. Why? Because he's one in a hundred. Prosperity is not going to ruin this man. It's going to bring out the best in this man. Look at verse 15. He said, now my predecessors were not that way. Now these were men who preceded Nehemiah as the governor of Jerusalem. They would either be people from Samaria or maybe they're even some people that the king 
had appointed to be the governor of Jerusalem before Nehemiah got there. And what he's saying is my predecessors, well, even they and their assistants or their advocates or the people in, in, in verse 15, think about the word he calls them in verse 15. Servants, there it is. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. He said, but I didn't do that. I didn't want to take advantage of my people. I didn't want to do that because I feared God. One writer says this about these verses. He says, the land Nehemiah, he has before his disposal. Okay, verse 16 says, I did not buy any more land. Now, I told you I'd come back to that, so we're back there. Watch this. The land would be obtained by the governors when the people were unable to pay their taxes, okay? If they could not pay their taxes for whatever reason, then the governor would say, oh, sorry about that. Because you cannot pay, I'm gonna take all of your land and I'm going to amass even greater wealth. And he said, I just could not do that. My people are trying to build this wall my, my people, they're, they're trying to do the best they can to provide for their families and, and, and give their kids a good education. They're just, they're just doing their best. And when they fall on hard times, heaven forbid that I come in and exploit the situation. I cannot, I just will not do that. That's verse 16. Now look at verse 17 and 18. 150 people come in for dinner. Now, I'm thinking that he's, they've already built the wall. By the way, it only took 52 days. Can you imagine that? It only took 52 days to build the wall. And so I think Nehemiah in chapter 5, he's kind of looking back on, on his years. And he's going, yes, even during the time of building the wall, I, I would not overtax my people. But even after that, those 11 plus years as governor, he said when we would have company over, and he said, by the way, that happened every day. We were just not ready to take and tax from our people. So here's what I did. I decided just to pay for it myself. And that's very generous. Now, I know, I don't know what his salary was as the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, but it was probably a very good salary. And what I think Nehemiah did, I think he took it and, and he saved it and did well. And I don't know what his governorship salary, I don't know what they paid governors these days, but I don't know what they paid him back then. But I imagine it was a pretty good comparable salary. And somehow he took those monies and invested them well. And even though he made $1.5 million, he gave $34 million away. That still just messes me up. How did he do that? Well, he's just one in a million, really. He is just a good, godly governor who's going to be faithful in the little things, and now God's going to enable him to be faithful in much. One writer says this about him. You know, his motives were pure. He never lost sight of God's calling in his life. He was in Jerusalem. Listen to this. He was in Jerusalem to help the people, not exploit the people. He was there to exemplify God's law, not violate God's law. He was there to rebuild the wall, not amass a personal empire. And then finally in verse 19, he says, and God, would you please, <laughs> would you help me? Because I'm, I mean, I, you know what I'm trying to do here. And, and, and so, you know, the cost that has cost me and Mrs. Nehemiah and and you know what this has done to my bank account, Lord. But so God, I'm just asking if you would be so kind, please remember me. And that's what I call our textual study. All right. So now let's look at some points of application. What, what is this story 
going to teach us today in 2017, 2,500 years removed from 444 BC in Persia, in Jerusalem. What is it, why is it that God would preserve a story like this? Is it for it just to set on our shelves and just collect dust? Or is it for the people of God to open up that treasured book and say, God, teach us what it is you want us to know from this story? And so I've got four things for you. You ready? So how many points does this sermon have? I mean, you got a textual study. You got four points, all right? But I don't have no poem. You know, I just got four points, and here it is. Prosperity reveals character or lack thereof. Prosperity, when, when we're blessed, when we're doing really good, the, the way we handle that, the way we respond to that, do we, do we exploit, do we take advantage, do we manipulate, do we amass more and more, or do we say, God, thank you for this, and I want to reveal that what's in my heart, God, is pure, and I want to be a man or a woman of integrity, and you, God, have been so gracious and generous to me, and I want to be the same to others. And when I read his story, I, I thought about another man, and I don't think you most of you have never heard of Orville Rogers, but I think you have heard of J.C. Penney, James Cash Penney. Anybody ever heard of pennies? You know, you're like, yes, it's where my grandparents shop. That's okay. I, I like pennies. James Cash Penney, when he was a young man, he was very industrious. He, he, he just had that touch about him as a businessman. He and he kind of just worked in small businesses and retail and that sort of thing. And then he said, we don't want to open up my own store. So he began to open up store after store after store so that in 1929, he had 1,400 J.C. Penney stores throughout America. Now, some of you historians, y'all help me now. 1929, what is about to go down? The stock market's about to crash and we're about to be pummeled into uh, and fall off the cliff, really, into what historians and economics call, economists call the Great, the Great Depression. And here J.C. Penney is, he's living large and in charge. He's got 1,400 stores. He's a multimillionaire and in 1929, he lost everything, lost it all. And yet he said, I still want to take care of my employees. So he borrowed money against his life insurance policy just so that he could pay his employees and give them a salary. Well, they bounced back. And J.C. Penney, uh, I think it was around 1946, he, he kind of began to relinquish control of the company. But every day until 1971, at the age of 95, J.C. Penney would go to work and he would, he, I think he kept four or five secretaries busy full-time just answering people's letters, just being very magnanimous and very gracious with his time. Here's what J.C. Penney said. Oh, this, this is a good quote. Oh, I hope this blesses you. He said, you know, when my life is over, I don't want to be known so much as a great businessman I want to be known as a great man of God. I like that. He says, here's the rules that I want to live by. I want to live by the golden rule, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And he says, I want to, to be a person that, that loves others and helps others. 
J.C. Penney was one of those guys who did the reverse tithing thing. Do anybody know what reverse tithing is? Say it again. That's right, Michael. He said he give away 90% and you live on 10%. Listen, guys, that's, that's pretty impressive. Prosperity did not ruin James Cash Penny. It did not ruin Orville Rogers. It certainly did not ruin Nehemiah. Would it ruin you? Is that why God withholds blessings on you? Because he knows you can't handle it. That was free. It's all right. It's okay. I'm backing up because some of you got darts. You know, you're shooting those darts at me. Maybe, maybe, maybe God says, well, I know what it would do to you. Some of you. Maybe before you leave, you ought to say, God, would you trust me with this? And I'll make a pledge and a promise that I, I will be gracious and, and it won't change me. Uh, in fact, when it reveals me and it reveals who I am, God, it will reveal a person of character and integrity. Okay, number two. Number two, take a drink of water. That's a good thing. All right. The two secrets or the two keys to maintaining your integrity in the midst of prosperity would be to love God and to love people, okay? I don't know if you noticed in the text, but early on in the text, he said, you know, I'm not going to take advantage of my people, and I'm not going to amass wealth and take their land, their farms, and I'm not going to build up this enormous bank account on behalf of, or the sweat off the back of my people. I cannot do that. And they say, well, why won't you do that, Nehemiah? Everybody else does that. All the other governors before you, come on, Nehemiah, this is your moment. This is your golden opportunity to make so much money that you'll never have a financial worry the rest of your life. What? Listen, listen, everybody does it and everybody will understand, just take the money. He said, I can't do it. Why? Because I fear God. I fear God. Did y'all read that in the text? He said, I can't do that because I'm accountable to God. Now, I know what people say. Well, when you fear God, you reverence God, you worship God. Yep, you also fear him, right? I mean, I, I'm a person, God keeps me out of the gutter. God keeps me clean because I fear him. You say, well, that's just no way to live. Listen, God loves me. And I am his child, right? And if I willfully disobey him and say, God, I know what you said, and you told me explicitly don't do this, but I'm going to do it anyhow, then God says, okay, you're my child. I'm going to spank your booty. I'm going I'm to spank your behind because you did something absolutely against my will, full knowing. Here's this, listen. If God doesn't spank me, I'm not his. Mm. That's what Hebrew says. You're illegitimate, a bastard child. If God does not spank you once you've stepped out of line. So I don't like that. I don't appreciate that. I just go back to the fear of God is just lovey-dovey and all is well. And I reverence God and worship God. I do too. And I fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. All right. Fear God and love people. These are the two principles that'll keep you, keep you on the straight and narrow. Love people. Those are the two things. Those are the two secrets, the two litmus tests 
If you wanna know how you can stay right with God and walk with God, even in the midst of prosperity, uh, it will reveal your character. Number, number two, you, you love God and you love others. Oh, I forgot to tell y'all something about JCPenney. Can I go back and tell you something? Okay, good, thank you. Sometimes I just get carried away. And I get carried away, carried away. All right, here it is. When he was, um, when he lost everything in 1929, not only did the nation go into a Great Depression, he went into a Great Depression. He checked himself into, the words back then were pretty harsh, but let me just put it nicely. He, he checked himself into a psychiatric place, okay? Because he, he was so depressed. And while he was in the psychiatric ward, they were having a chapel service and he heard this song by Sevilla Martin, the same lady that wrote His Eyes on the Sparrow. She wrote this song. Whoop. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. Y'all, anybody remember that? Okay. He said, I heard that and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was born again, he said, in the, they call it the insane asylum. I told you that was rough, right? Psychiatric ward sounds better. And so he said, I gave my life to Christ. And, um, and then it, and things just, just took off for him in his, in his business. And I got to give you all this just little, nit, little, little thing right here. While he was in Des Moines, Iowa, in one of his JCPenney stores, there was a young man there who worked for him by the name of Sam Walton. <laughs> And he said, Sam, come here, let me help you do something. I want to show you how you properly wrap a present. And you can only use so much paper and you use a ribbon. And Sam Walton said, well, thank you, sir. And that guy goes on to build Walmart. Isn't that cool? Yes, I thought it was cool. I just thought that was interesting. <laughs> okay, number, point number two is maintain character in times of prosperity. You love God and you love others. And that's very clear in Nehemiah's life. First of all, he just said it. He said, I fear God. And I don't want to disappoint my Lord. And he's, he watches me. And number two, I love my people. One writer put it this way. He said that Nehemiah should have shouldered all of this himself is proof, if such were needed, that to him the whole enterprise was a labor of love, end of quote. You know, it's interesting in the Gospels when Jesus is asked, good rabbi, good teacher, tell us. What are the, what's the greatest commandment of all? You remember what Jesus said? Fear God, love God, and love others. Man, that's a great, great, wise, sagacious, amazing. If you don't take anything else away from today, take this away. In order to be, stay in right relationship with God and with others, love God, fear God, and love others. Okay, the next point. Now, these next two are, are a little bit interesting to me, but the text talks about it, so I got I to talk about it. The next one is, ask God for his favor and to add blessings upon your life. Did you see it in verse 19? Nehemiah, he just comes out and he just says, uh, Lord, would, would you bless me? And uh, my bank account's kind of getting low. I got 150 hungry people every day plus some. We're killing sheep right and left and oxen, all this abundance of, of wine. And, and, and Lord, I just, I, I don't know how I'm gonna keep on providing, but I tell you what, God, you bless me that I'll keep on blessing others. Now, some of you, good Baptists, have a hard time with this 
I'm just not going to ask God for anything. That's too charismatic. That's just done them wealth and health and prosperity people. And I'm just not going to ask God. I am. I'm going to ask him. And I'm not afraid to ask him because Jesus said, you want something, ask for it. He said, that's not in the Bible. That's in Hezekiah. That's in one of those pseudopigrapha books. No, it's not. Jesus said, ask and it will be given unto you. Help me. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Nehemiah says, God, please remember me and bless me. By the way, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I, I pray every single day for you as your pastor. There, there's some things that a pastor does that nobody sees but God. A very big, important part of my life every day is to pray. If you're a member of this church, I want you to know something. You're being prayed for every single day. I can't call you all by name. I call a bunch of you by name because you work for me. You're my staff, and I pray for them by name. Here's what I pray. And now I didn't just say, if you don't like this, you tell me, stop praying for me. But here's what I do. I pray that God blesses you. I pray that God blesses your, your marriage, your family, your ministry, your business, and your finances. You say, well, you're probably praying it would be blessed because we can tithe more. <laughs> yes, I am. <clears throat> <laughs> Hey, hey, it works. Why not? You know, God blesses you. And if it doesn't ruin you, you'll turn around and be a blessing to our church. And I, I'm not afraid to do that for you. I'm not afraid to do that for me. God bless us because I want to be a blessing to others. What time is it? Okay, let me, let me get going. Number four. And this is just something that I've just kind of added in. It really... It's not specifically in the text, but I think it drips all over the text. And it's this generosity is the best way to live. Being a person of generosity. And that's what Nehemiah was, was he not? He could have taken advantage of his people, but he didn't. He could have amassed great wealth, but he, but he chose not to because he said, if I did that, then I would exploit my people. And I just, I fear God too much and I love those people too much to do that. He was so generous. And, and some people ask, well, if I'm generous, who's gonna take care of me? God, Woo If I'm generous and I give, how am I gonna feed all these people coming to my house? How am I gonna do all this? God, God will take care of you. Every day, all the way, he will take care of you. Now, when I say generous, I'm not just talking about generosity and money, but that's good. I'm talking about generosity in your time, generosity in your compliments, generosity in the way you treat your wife, guys, generous in the way you treat your colleagues, your coworkers, just living a, a, just living a life of generosity. D.L. Moody was a household name in the 19th century. He was the Billy Graham, the Louis Palau, the Greg Laurie, if you will, of the 19th century. Dwight Lehman or Lyman Moody died in 1899. But before he died, he and his friend, Ira Sankey, would go, go all over America and they would do these crusades. And it's amazing, in the 19th century, I mean, they would pack it out. There'd be thousands upon 
thousands of people to come and the only attraction really was Jesus. <laughs> he was enough. You had a man with a hot heart, a hot heart for God, who had preached the stars down. And then you have Iris Sankey over there just playing music and leading and just worshiping. But on this particular day, Dwight Lyman Moody, he wasn't preaching. He was doing something different. He was leading the singing. Moody was leading the singing, okay? And Sankey was playing the organ. And that's just kind of strange. It'd be like Terry coming up here and playing the piano, which is not strange. And it would be me like, you're good, good father. Sing it louder now. It's who you are, it's who you are. And that's what was going down. And then he looked over to Sankey and he goes, oh, just, oh, just, hold on just a minute. I saw somebody. There's a guy sitting over there. I offended him today in the street of Chicago. I said something to him and it hurt his feelings. I got to go get I got to go ask him to forgive me because I can't keep leading this, this worship when my heart's not right with God and I've offended my brother. And so this is what he did. He took off. Isn't that strange? He walking down. He goes, finds the brother, and he goes, Mike Villarreal, come, come help me, brother. Just, just walk toward me. Work, work with me, all right? He just said, hey, Mike, uh, you remember today, brother, streets, Chicago, and I said what I said. I thought I was being cute. I thought I was being funny. But I could tell that hurt your feelings, and I just want you to know I'm, I'm sorry, okay? Now, this is, what, this is what he did. He said, Pastor, it's okay. I love you, and I forgive you. Okay, man, go, okay. Praise the Lord. I right, go back and sit down. That's what, that's what went down. Woo. And he got back up there. And here, here's, here's the record of it. Here's what one person said. Moody went back to the platform and the eyewitness said, I never saw such a meeting in my life. It was amazing. God was all over the place. Because Moody was generous in the way he lived his life. I, you know, I, that's how I want to live. I, I want to live my life like that. I want to be generous in my, hey, I'm sorry. I want to be generous in my finances. I want to be generous in, in, in the way I treat my family. I just want to live a life of generosity so that God, he trusts me with it, and, and then I'll just be a conduit through which it flows unto other people. You say, where in the world would you get such a story? Right out of the Bible. Our man... Nehemiah. Well, let me ask you today as we wrap this up, what in the world has God said to you today? Okay. Now, some of you are in happy, happy, happy land when I was in the text and just going through the text. You were like, Ooh, sweet, sweet, sweet. Love it, love it, love it. But some of you are happy, happy, happy when I was over here doing application. So let, let me just ask you again. Generosity reveals our character. The best way to stay right with God Excuse me, prosperity reveals our character. Best way to stay right with God is to fear God, love people. Don't be afraid to ask for blessings. And then just, just live that kind of life of generosity. I'm just curious. I wonder what God told you today. Because you know what's so cool? Whenever a man of God will stand behind this sacred desk and open up that book, that sacred book, the Holy Spirit goes, whew, he starts moving. He starts, he starts going into people's hearts and he starts speaking. So I'm just curious. I wonder what God said to you today. Somebody would say, well, to be honest with you, 
I don't know this God. I, I don't have a relationship with this awesome creator, generous, benevolent God. And I just want to say, friend, you're in the right place because you're in a place of grace. You're in a place of mercy. You're in a place where all you have to do is say, God, I'm sorry. I have blown it. Would you, would you give me a second chance? God, would you just come into my life and, and take my life? I want to be your child. Then he'll be a good, good father. That's who he is. And he will love you and he will cleanse you and he will he'll welcome you into his family. Others of you, you, you know the Lord and the next step for you and your walk with God, it, it may just be saying, God, I need, I need to quit doing this. I'm just holding on to my bank account. I'm holding on to my, my kids and I'm just, I'm just a control freak and I'm just holding on to everything. And, and Lord, I just, I just need to open up. I just need to let things, I just need to let go and let you, God, just use me however you want to use me. I tell you, when you get to that place, whoo, son, that place of grace, that is a really sweet place. I call it the sweet spot. There are a few rare occasions on my life when I take that club back, Ralph, and I hit that ball, and it hits the sweet spot, and it's just heavenly. It ball goes whoosh, about 400, 200 <laughs> yards. <laughs> 250 maybe, and it lands, and I'm like, man, that's sweet. I said, wish I could do that every time. In the Christian life, you can live in that sweet spot. And I'm just convinced that the people who are generous with their time, with their money, with their gracious life, they're the people that live in, in that sweet spot. So the next level for you may be saying, God, I need to get into this mode of living. Can I pray for you for that? Let me do that. Let me pray for you for that. Lord, you are a good, good father. That's who you are, and we are very loved by you. That's who we are. And, Lord, we receive your love today. We receive your grace and mercy. I do, Lord, because I need it. Lord, so many times I, I'm not living in the sweet spot like I should. And so, Lord, recalibrate me, realign me, Lord. Remind me of who I am in you and who you are in me, and I would live that kind of blessed, prosperous life. Lord, I pray for our people, my people. I love this church, God. I, I thank you for entrusting them to, to our care as pastors and shepherds. Would you bless them? Lord, every day, you know what I'm about to say. God, I say it every day. Lord, bless our people. Bless their finances. Bless their marriages. Those that are married, bless those who have uh, ministries. Bless their ministry. Prosper them, Lord, in every way so that, Lord, they would be a blessing to the kingdom of God and a blessing to our church. Would you do that for them? Lord, I'm probably praying for some people right now that God, they're in some, some days of transition. They're in some times of moving from one city to the next. They're in the time of their life where kids are graduating. They're about to come empty nesters. Lord, they're in a time in their life where, where things are just kind of getting out of hand and they just don't know how they're going to handle it. God, would you help them? Would you bless them? Would you remind them that you are on the throne? You, are, you have not left your throne. The world may be in chaos, but you're not in chaos. So would you bless them, Lord, remind them. Lord, for those folks that, God, you want them to be a part of this family of believers, would you bring them in, Lord? Let them be a part of us so that they can help us reach this city with the gospel. So, Lord, I just pray in the time of invitation, God, that you would just be present among us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that there would be many prayers prayed as the songs are sung. I, I pray, God, that this prayer would be prayed. They would ask. They would seek they would knock and heaven, I pray, would come down 
And that, Lord, you would answer with great, great grace, God, and great generosity. Lord, I pray that forgiveness would flow through our sanctuary today. I pray if anybody's at odds with somebody, they would do what Moody did, Lord, and run to that person and say, hey, I'm sorry. And Lord, I just finally pray that your will would be done in our church and in our lives. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Terry's gonna lead us. Our team's gonna lead us in a, in a song of praise and also in a song of invitation. So we invite you, if you, you have a spiritual need or you have something that that maybe you just want to share, or maybe it's something great. Maybe God is just pouring out blessings upon blessings on your life, and you just want to come to the altar and say, Woo-hoo! Thank you, Lord. Lord, I was down, but now I'm up. God, I was empty, now I'm full. My bank account was, but now it's whoopee. And you just want to come and say, Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Or others of you may just want to come and take a pastor or, or a counselor by the hand and just say, Man, would you pray with me? God told me this, and I want to share this. Would you pray with me? God bless you as you come.